Hey guys, you're listening to Tea Time with Tay, a podcast series where I sit down, like I have a choice, brew some tea, and then spill it. Let's start the show. This episode of Tea Time with Tay is brought to you by my company, Cup of Tay Luxury Loose Leaf Teas. Cup of Tay is a loose leaf tea company that gives back to mental health awareness causes and also delivers you the most amazing organic loose leaf teas on the market. It's my guarantee. We have the cutest packaging, very modern, and looks amazing in everyone's kitchen, office, or makes for a very great gift. To check out Cup of Tay, head to www.cupoftay.com or look for the link in our description, and it's at Cup of Tay Shop on Instagram. But enough about that and let's get right into the show. All right. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to my podcast, Tea Time with Tay. If you are a first-time listener, Hi, I'm Taylor Lindsay Noel. I'm 26 years old, and I'm an entrepreneur from Toronto, Ontario. Um, what you're probably going to hear in this episode is going to be a massive range of emotions. I have known that July 15th was coming up, obviously. Um, it marks the anniversary of the day my life changed forever. At the time of this coming out, July 15th would have been yesterday, and I'm recording it about two days before, and right now I'm sitting here, again, no pun intended, with so much anxiety running through me. Um, I always say, well, let me back up. If you're new, again, hi, this isn't a normal podcast for me. My podcast is usually a very positive, upbeat space, and I do intend for that to be the overarching theme by the end of this, but I cannot guarantee in this particular episode that it will be like that throughout because I'm just going to be raw and open about how I'm actually feeling in this moment. Twelve years ago, my life looked completely different than it does today. At 14, I was a national gymnast, and I used to throw around my body and do what a lot of people feel like is the impossible, and I was so proud, so proud of the person I was then. Um, Traveling and competing for Canada was something I literally worked my life for. I dedicated 10 years of my life to the sport of gymnastics with the hope and dream of becoming an Olympian, a role model, and eventually getting a scholarship to my dream school at the time, UCLA, and being able to give back the sacrifices my mom made for me, um, being a single mother, working so hard to put me through a program that was very expensive um, to see my dreams come true. I always thought, beyond the Olympics, if I was just able to just get a scholarship, I could financially say thank you to my mother for every 
Oh my God, here it comes. <laughs> Financially say thank you to my mother for everything she's ever done for me. Um, wow, please bear with me that this podcast is going to be really hard. Um, on July 15th, 2008, my life changed forever. I went to a normal day of training and I, I, again, I'm going to apologize for everyone who's heard this story a thousand times. I'm so sorry, but, um, I went to a regular day of training and at the time my gym looked a lot different than the majority of gymnastics clubs. And that was because earlier that year, um, in January, our head coach came to the top three girls in the gym at the time and let us know that financially, even though our gym was the number one gym in Canada, financially we were drowning. And it was kind of a rumor that we had heard about for a very long time. Um, but I don't think as an athlete, we really knew the totality of the situation. So when we found out our gym was closing, it was shocking and devastating. But what I found out very quickly that the reality for a lot of people would be changing, but not for myself and two other girls. A privilege I completely understand at the time. Um, that meant that by the end of the, the gym year, which would have been after June, every single one of the athletes who trained at the gym would have to either relocate um, or make the decision if they wanted to continue. And the three of us could stay. Um, I think at the time it was something going to be along. We pay the coaches privately, the two coaches we worked with, and then continue to go along our Olympic dream. And that is exactly what happened. In June, the gym shut down. It was a very emotional thing for us. It was somewhere, um, it was somewhere I spent nine years of my life. And to see my best friends and people I really care about, um, not be made a priority like in the way that I know that I was at the time was really hard because as a child you don't see other people as different you don't see their skill sets or abilities as different so it became it became this very clear line in the mud that some of us were not going to be afforded the privileges of others so when at the time, I think over 30 girls were displaced. It was difficult for everyone because we were, we were a family. And uh, our family was split up and it wasn't easy. Oh my God, why am I crying? This is so stupid. Our family was split up. It was very difficult. It was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. And that last day in that gym was 
so incredibly emotional, you have no idea. Girls were bawling their eyes out, and, uh, <laughs> but you know, as we're taught, life goes on, and training went on. So, for me, um, it was the start of the summer season, which meant our training hours were very different compared to the rest of the year. So, for the next month or so, I continued training with two other girls in a very big gym, being coached by only two coaches, a male and a female. I don't think it necessary at this time to say their names. If you really want to know, it's very easy to find on Google. Uh, yeah, so... That's what we were doing every single day for, you know, five days a week. And then about a month and a bit into it, July 15th rolled around and I started my morning like every other morning. Um, waited for my mom to come pick me up to drive me to gym. She would have to leave work like she always did to drive me. And she was late that day, actually. And I remember... As much as it was in every other day, just going through the emotions of so much change in such a little time, it really had me in a space with my with the sport where I was very disheartened. Um, there was a lot of things that were going on at once. I had just previously gotten back to normal from um, breaking my knee about a, a year and a bit prior to that. Um, crawling my bay back up into what I felt like the respect of the people in charge. When I broke my knee prior to my injury, um, I felt very discarded. And this is a common thread. Oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this podcast? This was a common thread um, through the, the last few years of um, my gymnastics career. But, you know, I was given this opportunity and I knew that after our coaches saw myself and another girl off to the Olympics eventually, uh, which would have been in 2012, that they would retire. And so I felt almost obligated to see it through. And so I did. So that morning, um, evening, when my mom was running late, it kind of gave me that feeling like, oh man, I know as soon as I get there, I'm going to be yelled at. Uh, it's very common knowledge in high-level sports that our co coaches can be very, very tough on their athletes. Uh, at the time, I always thought I played a victim in feeling like I got picked on a little bit more than maybe the other two that trained with us, but... As a 26-year-old grown-ass woman, I know that I wasn't crazy and that I definitely was treated more harshly. Um, and it sucked. It was really hard. I swear I'm a happy person. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was really hard. And, 
crying in gym was not a foreign thing for me. It, it wasn't a foreign thing for anyone, to be honest. We all cried. Um, our coaches were very tough on us, but it was because we were always in the pursuit of excellence, right? Every single day we went to gym, there was this massive sign um, near the trampolines that said, in the pursuit of excellence. And that is what they expected from us at every single moment. But I think what sometimes was forgotten, that we were children. We were children. And the pursuit of excellence was never something that... It was never something that was... um, Sorry, one second. I, I literally had to take a break from recording because uh, for some reason I just can't stop crying. And I can't even blame it on the time of the month, ladies. It's not that. It's just a really difficult thing to talk about. All year, I hold it together. And I'm strong for other people, so when I actually have to sit and talk about it, I mean, I don't have to, but when I choose to, in a, way, in a manner like this where no one is with me at the moment, and it's so hard because I actually have to confront the reality of so many things I've just tried to hide. Okay. We were children. <laughs> Going back, we were children, and I think sometimes that was forgotten because we had adult-level responsibilities, Uh, and that's okay sometimes, but sometimes we needed a break. But anyways, showing up at gym, my suspicions of what would happen were right. I was berated being late, something that was out of my control, but no one cared anyway. So I was forced to uh, warm up by myself, and something I want to put as a disclaimer um, for anyone who might jump ahead and think I didn't do a proper warm-up, which led to my accident, it's the farthest thing from the case, because we're taught to warm up, I warmed up like we always did, it wasn't the first day I was ever late, um, yeah. But, you know, I warmed up and took the time to do so properly and later joined the other girls on trampoline, which is where we started our day. So we did tramp and then we did floor and then we went to the worst event in the entire world. Bars. <laughs> I, if you knew me as an athlete, you knew that was amazing of the floor exercise, amazing of vaults, really fairly good at beam, sucked at bars. Of anybody who was on the national team, I was by far the worst on bars. Anyone from my national level, it was well known that Taylor Lindsay Noel could not get through a bar routine, which makes this whole situation even worse. Um, 
but yeah, I started, we started going through a routine. One of the other girls was getting ready to actually go to the Beijing Olympics and leave actually for the Olympics, I think a week or two after July 15th. Um, so she was kind of in her own world um, and working on all of that. And the other girl and I, uh, I mean, you guys know who it is, Peng Peng Lee. Um, she and I were working together and training together. And our main coach who was coaching us at the time was, you know what? I'm going to say everyone's name. Everyone has felt so comfortable talking about me, sharing my story. And I don't know why for so long I would never ever say anyone's names. But I'm going to do it because, one, it's public knowledge. Two, like I said, everyone's talked about it so publicly with my name, so I will too. I was training with Peng Peng Lee, and Brian McVeigh was coaching us because Brian McVeigh always coached us on bars. We went through our regular skill set. And then there was a conversation with Brian that came up with him and I, and he went to me and said, you know, Taylor, at Nationals, your performance wasn't very good on bars. Shocking. If you're wondering what happened on the last skill, which is called, I guess you would call it a dismount, how you leave the high bar um, at Nationals, I hit my head on the bar doing a double back. Um, for two, for people who don't know what that is, two flips leaving the bar. In the second flip, I actually ended up hitting my head on the bar, stopping my rotation and ending up on the mat. It was the most embarrassing thing. Uh, a double back is something that's not very hard for somebody at my level at the time. But again, bars was not my thing. And I fell. I hit my head. I fell and actually had to stop competing because, um... I got whiplash and a suspicion of a concussion. So this is what he's referring to when he said we needed to talk about nationals. And he said that he wanted to teach me a new bar bar skill. And I said, okay, what what is it? You know, he's my coach. That's what he does. And the day before, we had actually, he told me about something called a rigby. And I tried it, and it wasn't very hard. Um, actually, I think he told me about it the week, the Wednesday prior. It's when he first told me about it. The Thursday, Friday of that week, I did a rigby for the first time. The Monday um, of my act, before my accident, I did it as well. And then this is the day when he was talking about it again. And I'm like, okay, well, you told me we needed to learn a new skill. I learned a rigby. It wasn't very hard. Great. And he goes, well, no, now... I think I want you to try something to a little bit harder. And I was like, okay, what's going on? Kind of, you know, in a very playful manner. And he said, I want you to try a rugby double front. And I, I didn't know what that was. He told me it was, you know, the same skill I had learned, but just an extra rotation added in. So a double. And in knowing how... The rigby came very easily for me, the single flip. But the amount of rotation that I 
would require to get a skill around twice. I already knew in my head from having learned the rugby that it would be very difficult, if not impossible, for me to do two because I would just barely land it in the first rotation. So knowing this, I said to him, yeah, no, that's not happening. <laughs> I'm not doing this. And I said it in a very playful manner because I knew that there was a level of respect between a coach and the athlete that we always grew up with. And he said, well, you know, I want to try. And again, I said, no, it's not happening because I know I can't do it. And another thing that really weirded me out was when he said rugby double front, I had never heard of it. And I had never heard of it because I'd never seen anyone do it, which was a red flag. I had been in the sport for nine years. I had been a fan of the sport for longer. And I watched every Olympics. I've watched every international meet and I had never seen a single soul do it. So now my first initial jokes were turning into real concerns. And I remember saying to him, show me a video. But I said it knowing that he wouldn't be able to produce one. Um, and for people who wonder, well, what about YouTube? And YouTube was not what it is today back in 2008. That was a very long time ago. Um, so when I said, show me a video, he laughed and said he didn't have one. But he reassured me again that tons of girls do it around the world and that it was very possible. But like I told you before, I found this to be a very strange ask for him to ask me to do something that is would obviously be rare because I've never seen it, but be asking it of me because I was horrible on bars. Again, for someone of my level of athleticism and accomplishments, I sucked on bars. And so you would think that something that was rare, hard to do, he would ask Peng, Elise, anyone else to do. But no, it was being offered to me, which again felt very strange. But I trusted him. This conversation went on for an hour. Um, this, this conversation included tears. It included fighting. And me at 14 years old attempting to stand up for myself. But what you have to understand in the mindset of a 14-year-old, you know what? No. I have for a long time tried to rationalize the behaviors of someone who was put in charge of me. But I think it's time I really just accept the fact that I was a child. And when you develop a relationship like the relationship I had with my coach or the relationship that an athlete has with their coaches, it's something that transcend that transcends athlete and coach. It's family. These people you're spending more times at, um, more times with in a, in a week than your own family. I spent 20, it's five and a half hours every single day in the gym, dedicating myself, working intimately and very closely with these people to the point where he, to me, was almost like a father figure, someone who I could trust 
confide in, go to, be him be hard on me when he needed to be hard on me, and be hard on me when he didn't have to. But that's the kind of relationship that at least high-performance athletes form with their coaches, and I think there's a lot of people out here who can relate to this. So to have someone use their authority to belittle my feelings, to make me feel like me feeling scared, doubtful, he had the power and skill to make his position feel as though anything I had to say, think, or feel was wrong. He made my gut feeling feel just as fear. That is a warning. He was so skilled at it. So skilled. Scary. And um, I think in recent times, we've seen in examples of what happens when power dynamics are not acknowledge and appreciate it. There's a lot that can go wrong. And on July 15, 2008, a lot went wrong. One thing also, let me turn off my phone, one thing also you have to acknowledge is the fact that in our gym club, if you talk back to a coach, if you argued, even if sometimes if you cried, it came with the risk of being sent to the, sent to the change room being um being not dismissed being banned temporarily and I say that because I know I got banned from the gym one day when I didn't come to gym after going out for a very late night to a concert with a bunch of girls and the funniest thing about it was all of us girls got home so late and agreed that we weren't going to go into gym the next morning because it would not be safe to be training while tired. And of course, every single person showed up except for me. And so when I eventually came back, I was suspended for a few days for my actions. So if you can get suspended for trying to take care of yourself, then you can definitely get suspended for talking back. And that was another fear I had running through my head. So it kind of became, after an hour of arguing, crying, going back and forth, the decision of, do I risk being kicked out, isolated, humiliated, or do I just throw the skill and try it? Because maybe my fear is just fear. It's not a gut feeling that something gravely wrong can go wrong. I'm just being scared because I've never tried it before. And the majority of the time, that is what it is. But this time really did feel different. But I trusted him. And I remember the last thing he said to me, one of the last things he said to me was, Taylor, you're letting your fear cloud your judgment. I would never ask you to do something that you are not capable of doing. Trust me. And I did. I trusted him. I trusted you, Brian, and you let me down. The first time I attempted the scale, I landed on my back. I had no idea where I was in the air. Um, this was evident when we went to go watch it on our cameras. We had cameras in the gym, and we watched back our skills, and you could see that I was terrified and that I had I lost my way in the air. 
And so when he asked me to do it again, I immediately said no. But again, the berating, the convincing kept going on. And when I asked him to spot me, he said no. He said that he would be getting in the way if he were to stand there. Just in case I fall, I fell. He said no. Tears and all, everything you can imagine followed after that. But then I was like, okay, I'll just listen to him because he must know. He knows me better than I know myself, apparently. And that was the second time that I landed headfirst, broke my neck, and severed my spinal cord, and my life changed forever. As you can imagine, my whole life changed in an instant. I instantly became paralyzed and never walked out of that gym, the same gym I walked into every single day for almost 10 years. I was taken out in on a gurney. The weeks and months that followed was extensive stays in rehabilitation centers, trying to get back as much body function as possible with no true avail. Um, And just refocusing my life and figuring out what the hell I'm going to do. Along the way, I lost a few friends, um, gained a couple great friends and solidified friendships that will forever shape me. The girls I have in my life right now who have been with me before and after my accident, I wouldn't trade them for the world. They have been by my side through the darkest moments and are still riding with me today. I don't have to name them. You're listening. You know who you are. And I love you so much. My family has been unwavering, always beside me, always supporting, bringing me food while I was in rehab, visiting me, changing our lives. What you have to understand is that although I'm the one sitting in a wheelchair, although I'm the one living with paralysis, what happened to me didn't just affect me. It has affected every single facet of my life and every single person who is in it. It has affected relationships. It has affected friendships and family. It touches everything. Paralysis touches everything. Disability changes everything. My family just can't have a Christmas dinner at anyone's house. It has to be at my house because my house is the only accessible one. My friends can't just invite me everywhere. They have to think about these things. They have to think, will she be able to go? Will she be able to attend? When my friend, my beautiful friend Christina, got married last year and had me as her maid of honor, she had to ensure that her venue was wheelchair accessible. And they do it, and they don't mind. But I'm just trying to show that it happened to me, but it happened to everyone. And I'm so grateful that everyone who is with me is okay and supports me and loves me enough to for that not to be a huge thing. And I'm sure it's not always easy, but they never let me see it. And I love them for that. And um, 
it's so special. And I know I would do it for them in a heartbeat, but when it's you and you see that support, it's so beautiful. I just... Okay, another quick break. Oh my gosh. And speaking to support, I can't help but recognize the strangers, the people who didn't know me, the people who have heard my story, reached out, and have been here for me ever since. Whether you knew about it right from the beginning or you've met me recently, the people who have embraced me and seen me for me, supported me for me, and just given me a big hug of support. I love you guys too. It's everything. It's everyone who helps me to keep going. This can be a very isolating journey. I know so many people who go through what I went through and end up feeling alone and end up not only feeling it, but seeing it in every, every heartbeat. Family members dropping off, friends leaving them, strangers not caring. So to know that people care and people support me and love me is the most comforting thing along this very difficult journey. It's been 12 years. And you would think that with each year it gets easier, but it doesn't. I think there was a span of years, maybe from, maybe a span of two or three years where it was okay, but I'm now at an age where, you know, you start seeing the people around you, they're settling down, some of them having children, getting married, and I'm not quite there yet. And I know that's not something because of my wheelchair, but I'm getting to an age and a time where that comfortability of feeling like everything's okay isn't the feeling I have every single day. And at times it scares me, but I, I keep going and I keep moving forward because I do know now, at least, that I have so much to offer this world, and I was given a second chance. Not a lot of people are given a second chance in life. And on July 15th, thanks to doctors and surgeons and nurses, I was given a second chance. I was told that the difference between me dying and living was five pounds. If I was five pounds heavier, the weight of my body would have crushed my skull, falling from the height that I did. But I'm here. I'm here. And it's been my journey ever since to make sure that I never forget that. The tailor you are hearing about today, the tailor you're getting to know today, is a woman who has gone through so much but has not allowed circumstances to dictate my future. I was also gifted the opportunity to live this life without having any 
brain damage stemming from a very serious injury. I'm a little crazy, (laughs) but that has nothing to do with a brain injury. And that being said, I feel very grateful to have been able to complete a university degree, to start my business cup of tea, to write poetry, create art, and finally step into the woman I'm comfortable being today. It's been a very long journey, and I was very lost so many times. But the important thing was that I found myself again and again and again. I was Taylor Lindsay Noel, the gymnast, for 10 years of my life, and I thought that would forever be my identity. But I've learned that I can rewrite my story, and I hope that you guys understand that about your life as well. People, things, situations, trauma will try to derail you. We all know that to be true. Look at 2020. 2020 has been kicking everyone's butts from the top of the year to the time of this recording. It has been immensely difficult. And I think what the universe is trying to teach us is that we are resilient people. That when we come together, we can uplift others. People came together to uplift me. And I hope that I'm making people proud. I hope that through my life, at least one person finds the joy in theirs. And I say that meaning we take everything for granted. Everything. And we need to stop doing that. It's not always easy, and I even forget, even with all of my challenges. I take things for granted every single day. But we need to stop doing that. 2020 is showing us we need to stop taking things for granted. If you woke up this morning, if you're listening to this podcast, if you are driving, if you are sitting in a home, you are privileged. If you woke up with no ailments bothering you, you are privileged. And you need to recognize and appreciate that privilege. Whether you pray to a God, pray to the universe, don't pray at all. Just show gratitude and the fact that you get to start your day a healthy person. You get to start your day an able person because so many people around this world would kill to do half of what you get to do every single day. I would trade all of the money in the world to be able to run up a flight of stairs. Something that people groan about every single day. But know that every single person you see in a wheelchair who is out in society and gets to a flight of stairs that they can't walk up, how much that would mean to them. And just be a little bit appreciative of that. Don't take the little things for granted because everything can change in a second and never for a second think that you are invincible because you are not. At 14 years old, I thought I was invincible. And who was to tell me differently, right? 
I could do so many things so many people couldn't. I was athletic beyond words. There was a plan laid out for me, and I was following each and every step happily. And look where I am now. Things can change in a minute, and not always for the best. This journey, 12 years, hits hard. It's a really big chunk of my life. And I'm not really sure how to process it in its totality, if I'm being completely honest. The days leading up to July 15th are always very emotional for me. And if you've ever seen the documentary that I did about my accident or seen me talk in bits and pieces about everything, you would know that I'm very good at hiding my emotions. The majority of the people have never seen me cry. And I like that for the most part, but I'm happy to have created a space where I can be honest when I'm feeling up to it in its totality of how much this journey has affected me. Paralysis is a very physical, physical journey, but the mental aspects of it and the mental hurdles surrounding it are 10 times harder than the physical. So for anyone who thinks that the hardest part of my day is the fact that so many parts of my body don't function the way they once used to, Please know the mental battle of it is immensely worse. And I think the thing that I'm one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that I've conquered that mental battle for the majority of this journey. I put my best foot forward and put my heart and soul and time into healing these mental emotional wounds because that's something I actually could control and I don't always have control of it but I'm really proud of the way that I've been able to push and persevere beyond it. I never know how to end these things. Um, Podcasts that are so emotional or just heavy um and I always try to look for like a really positive light but I think right now I want to end this podcast with a poem that I wrote years ago um August 14th 2014 and while maybe not the full sentiments of how I felt um is how I'm feeling right now I thought it would be an opportunity to share some of my work uh, and just leave you guys, the listener, with something to muster, muster, something to think about. Um, Yeah, so this poem is called Enslaved. Bound to metal like a slave, but I am not picking cotton in the sun being whipped for the color of my skin 
or having my life taken at the hands of a person who is incapable of recognizing we all bleed the same color. But like those brave women and men, I suffer. I am the property of my diagnosis. I am a slave to a life I did not choose. My body bound in the chains of paralysis. I wrote that six years ago and with everything going on in the world in my accident, I felt like it was the perfect piece. If you made it to the end of this podcast, thank you. Once again, if you're new here, please know that we have a lot more brighter and exciting and upbeat conversations coming in the future. But this was a necessary conversation for me, and I appreciate you being here and taking time out of your day to listen. Tea time with Tay, my business cup of Tay, and my poetry are the things that keep me going besides my family and friends. And I'm very, very grateful for these opportunities and these spaces. So this is where I'm going to wrap up this time. And I hope to see you on the next podcast. And for the future, thank you for supporting me and believing in me always. I love each and every one of you guys. Talk soon. Once again, thank you so much for listening. This episode was brought to you by my company, Cup of Tea Luxury Loose Leaf Teas. It is the most amazing, delicious organic teas on the market. We have green teas, black teas, white teas, dessert teas, everything that you could want in one place. Head over to cupoftea.com, that's C-U-P-O-F-T-E dot com, or at Cup of Tea Shop on Instagram and all other social media handles. The link is also in the description. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Okay, ladies, now let's get information.